Hello, welcome everyone. This is the fourth episode of Concilium with uh, Larsen Hutt. Hey, good morning. And the topic of discussion of today is going to be how to how to navigate the social landscape of life. Pretty much, that was the overarching theme of it. And we're probably going to talk a lot about the online social landscape because that's how Hutt and I became friends. That's how we got to know each other. Uh, a pretty, pretty large amount of the people who will listen to this are probably familiar to uh, Twitter personas of ours in one way or another, of accounts, etc. And the online space and the world in it is not going away anytime soon. So we thought we can recollect our own journeys through it individually and then what we have learned and how we're going to aim to do it moving forward, how we conduct ourselves, how we conduct um, how we conduct ourselves with other people especially. So here we go. Boy, uh, no pleasantries at all, huh? <laughs> this was the intro. Now we go over the formulaic robotic industries. Uh, first of all, uh, important piece of online um, pleasantry, GM, um, for the internet boomers who don't know what this means yet, this means good morning. Good and morning. it's a very, very important greeting as of recently. So I think I've given you all of the due respects by saying GM. You have to say <laughs> it back, though. Uh, okay, that's fine. Um, F you. Um, <laughs> I, need to, I need to just do a little disclaimer. I'm actually camping as we speak. I'm sitting in a camper at a campgrounds. And there may be all sorts of interesting background noise. I hope, hopefully the technology does its job and doesn't pick up too much of non-human voice, but um, it has a very nice ambient voice, yeah. like, a, like a background track. It's good. Well, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to decide if I should mute while you're speaking so that the background track is kind of, you know, less, less obvious, or if I should just leave it so that it's more consistent throughout the entire podcast. I think you should leave it. Uh, it's at least the way I hear it. It's not overbearing at all, and I wouldn't mind having that soothing atmosphere behind my speech as well. Because otherwise, you come across this very relaxed, chill person, and then it stops whenever I speak, and it makes me sound like this really intense hard ass. Which many people might say that's how I am, but we don't need to. We don't need to make people believe that even more than they already are. Alrighty, this is Concilium ASMR. Oh, God. Well, then, how shall we go about it? Um, I think neither of us have mm, ever spoken to the other about the full extent of our whole online history. Like, we both know bits and pieces about the other. And I don't know exactly how much I told you or how much you remember of my stuff. So I, I'm thinking I can just start going through my tale. And we'll see if you have something to inflect, something about your own stuff you can then start talking about. And we'll just do that and see how it goes. Go for it. So, hmm, how do I put this? Um, I, I started in grade nine. I started becoming more socially attuned with my peers. Uh, let's put it like that. It was a very, very fun year. It was the first year where I really completely stopped being an outsider and kind of a rebel who thinks that everyone uh, surrounding him in the classroom is completely beneath him and stupid and absolutely just moronic. That was my attitude for most of my high school career, which started at uh, grade five. And year nine, things 
like the whole class community really got better and it was just a very fun time. And coincidentally, also two of my best friends in high school joined my grade that year. And one of them introduced me to a wonderful, wonderful game called League of Legends, which I don't know, I don't know if you know what this is hot, but it's the most popular online game. I think it still is with the most players that exists. And it's like a game you play five people versus five people. I would have map, thought you do things you have to destroy. Um, I think I think when it comes to active players, when it when it uses that metric, League of Legends is the number one. It's also really big in China. So, um, yeah. So the way it worked was that I got really hooked by the game. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I was ever actually addicted in the formal sense, but my mindset was school is fun, school is awesome. I like my time in school, joking around with people, having fun in the classroom, etc. But Outside of that, I didn't have too much desire to interact with most of my classmates beyond that. Beyond that, not like not a lot. So I also hadn't discovered books or anything like that yet. But playing this game was really, really stimulating. Like very cognitively rewarding. It was a challenge. It was a challenge that didn't um, rest on physicality and staying consistent with that. Like you can get to. Like with video games like that, it's with any sport pretty much. You usually need to train for years before you become proficient at it in the objective sense. But with a game like that, you can literally uh, become a part of the top 5% of players in the whole world. And there's like millions and millions of them within weeks or months if you do it enough and if you're talented enough. So... This really hooked me, and it was also fun to play with friends, like uh, to play with or rather with people from school. And that was also like the social tab. And anyways, I was the one who played it the most by far uh, in that circle, and I also then got into competitive gaming. Like not myself, I was nowhere near good enough for that. But eventually I cared about also analyzing it and witnessing it at a higher level. Like we're not going to start a whole esports debate, is it real or not? But it's pretty much the same at chess. With it's something which people can be good or bad at, and if you do it yourself, then you may enjoy watching people who are really, really, really good at it and do it for a living. So I did that, and no one in my school liked talking about it, though. Like nobody, none of them watched those professional players play it. So I went to Twitter because there was like the reason was I went on Reddit and. Um, on the subreddit for the League of Legends game. And on the esports discussions, they were always talking about roster transfers and drama that occurred. And most of this was on Twitter. And I never had access to it because it was just on Reddit. So eventually I created an account. I followed people. And I was mostly a lurker at first, like just someone who watches things and doesn't comment. And eventually I started commenting on it with some people that aren't players themselves, but coaches or just otherwise people on Twitter that talk about it. And this was like in 2015, I think. I was like 14 or 15 at the time. So there I um, slowly built up a following. And by a following, I mean, I had like 34 followers. And one day, like, uh, but all of those, the thing is, I blocked all random people from my account when they followed me. So all the people that followed me were people that were active in the scene, like talking about it or directly involved, like coaches of teams. And these teams have now like millions of dollars of funding. And this was noted by one coach when he was like uh, writing me all out of nowhere, like, Lars, why is it that you only have 34 followers? But when I click on them, it's the most stacked following I've ever seen. 
And that's kind of how I like to keep a low profile, but still talk about things. And eventually I kind of got bored of talking about it. But this one account who was also into League of Legends was also into politics. And he got my attention with a particularly outrageous claim, which was that a certain orange skin colored person was going to become president. And at this time, my English teacher still showed John Oliver clips and like he was the second coming of Jesus and we had to analyze it and fawn over it. And that was actually a paramount reason for why I was receptive to this guy. Like receptive as in I was curious because I thought, like I, I liked it, it was fun, but I was like the wall episode of John Oliver that was, I was like, if there's, if Trump is so stupid, if he's so obscenely incompetent, stupid, moronic, lying, there's no way that half people would be into him, right? There's no way. I was literally just like, it can't be. It would be too outrageous and insane. So when this guy made that claim, I, I followed him with the intention of mocking him for when he was wrong. But eventually, I kept, because I'm, I'm very open-minded about these things, I kept then also the things that he tweeted about and people retweeted in politics on Twitter. I got a feel on that. I betted money on it. I think I bet like three or 400 euros on a 6.25 quota on a betting site, like which he told me to. And my dad really was like, I'm a bad father for letting you do this. I'm such a bad father for letting you do this. Uh, because he also didn't believe it, but then I, it did happen. And so um, like a funny story about that. It was a bit known in my school that I was not a Trump supporter necessarily, but someone who believes that he was going to win and that he wasn't the second incarnation of Hitler himself. So when I came in, like um, this one guy tried to bet me money that he wouldn't um, win the election. And I was like, okay, let's let's do it. And he was like, 20 bucks. And I'm like, why not 20? Why not 50? Do 50. Come on. Believe in it. It's, it's never going to happen. And then he got scared and was like, no, no, you overdid it. No, now I don't want to do it anymore. But when I came into the classroom, like the morning after he won, uh, I just smiled a bit and this guy threw pencils at me and was like screaming, this is not funny. This is not funny. This is not a time to laugh. This is not funny. And the teacher held this very solemn, sad speech that was very cryptic that no one understood. So anyways, I got into politics and he also recommended an account which I think many people in the Twitter sphere know, which is Ajax. When he was still, I think, I don't know if he had even a thousand followers at the time, but he was mostly talking about fitness and some like now basic self-improvement axioms. So I followed him and well, I was 15, 16 still at the time. And I kind of liked what I was doing, especially because I was getting into working out at the time. And he eventually retweeted a certain character, which is known as Pat Statman a lot. And he seemed also very insightful and very cool. So I followed Pat. And that is then how I was introduced to, like Pat was then the funnel or the gateway to the larger friend group that I still have right now, to that space of not just self-improvement, but upstream Twitter. Uh, well, that was what it at least was called like three or four years ago, which was, you know, marked by being anti-red pill, more nuanced and more emotionally integrated than standard self-improvement platitudes. So yeah, like Pat, who's a friend now. And the funny thing is that you are actually one of the last people that I know, that I knew from that whole thing. I don't know how I managed to follow Pat for so long without really knowing you. You saved I the just... best for last. Hmm? You saved the best for last. 
Yeah, exactly. Because um, I know that you were doing your podcast. Uh, you started the podcast The Drink with Mark Allen Bober at the time. And I sadly, I didn't listen to it, although people spoke well of it. And then I just knew that it um, was discontinued. And I think I saw a picture of you just once, but that was it. And eventually, when you joined with a different account, like a few months or years later, then we also got talking and got closer. But yeah, that is pretty much how I arrived in Twitter, so to speak. And now why I arrived in Twitter, it's obvious that I wanted to talk about the League of Legends competitive scene and I didn't have anyone in my closer physical life that cared about it or wanted to talk about it as much. And with politics too, all of my people in my class, they didn't care much for it beyond consuming John Oliver and thinking it made them very politically enlightened and in a no. And fitness and all of these things were just things that it was much easier to learn about online and to speak with people online who had similar interests, ambitions, and then also, of course, the upstream stuff, which, like, not to talk about MBTI or cognition too much, but which is mainly intuitive people which care about certain similar topics of self-integration and just exploring things that I couldn't do with people in real life. And I think it actually did me a lot of good to get into that part of Twitter because like, this is not meant to be bragging, but just how dire the state can be that if it wasn't for Twitter, I could have very, very well believed that I was the smartest person to exist in my life until university. Because I haven't, I've never met people who were truly, who are truly making me believe like, wow, that's a person that is actually not only like on my level of consciousness or thinking about things, but could actually be well be above me even. And I don't think I would have turned into a huge asshole without that or anything, because at that point I was fairly sociable already. But it was still good to see not only am I not crazy for going for certain thought patterns and assumptions and clues about society or how things are and how my experience goes. It's not only that it's not unique, but it's not particularly niche either. Like there's actually a lot of people who have similar thought patterns and conclusions. They're just not they just weren't in my physical proximity. So The next big milestone was that the university that I attended until like more than half a year ago, I got to through Twitter because I was tweeting about, I wanted, I want to study psychology, but my uh, German GPA is nowhere near enough, good enough to do that in Germany because you need to be like in the top zero point something percent to do that. But why this, is that? Um, you can't just yeah, say whatever you want. Yeah, like, um, it's a good question. Like, basically, um, medicine is the most contested one. Like, the way the way it works to explain it is that one is the best rate that you can get, usually in cl class, and six is the worst. And then there's a comma system. So 2.0 is 2, 1.0 is 1, 3.0 is 3, blah, blah, blah. And to get into psychology, you pretty much need, you can, you can actually reach 0.8 and 7, I think. And to get into psychology, you pretty much need 1.0. And if you have up to 1.5 with a lot of waiting, you can also get in. And so literally getting accepted, like you've got to have a certain, certain, you can't just go study whatever you want. You've got to have a certain grade rating to get into a certain career. Yeah, yeah that's like um, with those, because psychology and medicine are very contested. And then, of course, it's not just certain universities, but there's only like, 
I think there's like two universities in Germany that are known for not having a GPA requirement in psychology. But then if you study at those, you are pretty much, people are going to look at your degree and they're going to recognize that place. And then you're going to be assumed to be, oh, because you couldn't get into the normal one. That means you're a loser and it's less worthwhile. But every time I hear about a European system, whether it's healthcare, education, I just, I have a lot of criticisms of the U.S., but every time I hear about a European system, I just hate it. I just hate it. Yeah, well, we'll we'll give you free college, but you can't choose what you want to study. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, the thing is, you can you can choose most things, just those elite things you can't do. Psychology is an elite thing. Yeah, um, that is kind of psychology is a major here. Psychology is a major in the U.S. that people pick when they just really don't know what they want to do. Psychology is like oh, I'll just I'll just do psychology, you know. Oh, the thing is that is still true here. It's just that's for the people who have are high achieving with grades and don't know what to do. It's pretty much um, a running joke. The most I think the most popular majors to do is like um, business education is a kind of one, business and economics education, um, law medicine and psychology if you don't know what you want to do then you spin the wheel and if you have good grades and you're probably not just going to go to any business major but if you have good grades you should pretty much spin the wheel between psychology medicine and a good law degree because those are high status high paying jobs that people with good grades are supposed to get into so it's outside of that you can get into most things pretty easily like philosophy for example i can study that pretty much at most universities only very few have any GDP like requirements for that, and you can yeah. study it's stuff that you're not good enough for, but you would just need to wait like a de- half a decade or more, which wasn't worthwhile for me. So what I was looking at was that the Netherlands has roughly similarly comparable education to you know, German universities, which are good, but you don't need a GPA to get into a psychology degree. And what I ended up getting into was technically speaking not a psychology degree, but it was. Um, uh, called university college english speaking international um, accepting and it was pretty much pretty american because you couldn't just study one thing but you had to study a variety of things it was all about interdisciplinary effort technically speaking i wouldn't have gotten a psychology degree but a social sciences degree with a major and thesis in psychology which would in practice amount to the same thing but that's a whole scam actually like Okay, I'm not going to be consistent with what I talk about, but that's such a scam. When I was in my first year and I had to wait for my courses because I didn't get into the intro to psychology class in my first semester, and then I was in the intro class in the second one, and I looked at what class can I do here? There is um, clinical psychology, social psychology, um, um, what was it, developmental psychology, um... There was another class, oh yeah, um, health psychology, that was then level three. Um, Health psychology, the psychology of ethnic relationships, um, and um, crime and context, which was a mixture of psychology and um, criminology. That was it. And then I looked at the curriculum of the university from pretty much the town I'm from, and they had pretty much almost as much material of different psychology disciplines just in one semester. And that was pretty much the whole curriculum I had access to at my whole time in that university college. And then the story is I didn't like psychology at all. And I took a lot, a long time to find that out because it would only take one course each semester. So didn't get one first one. Intro class doesn't tell you anything. Social psychology is a scam. 
like if nine out of 10 studies that you conduct can't be replicated, then your discipline is pretty much, it's not scientifically valid and it's not interesting enough on a philosophical level to matter at all. Nine out of 10, that's, uh, that's generous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the third one was developmental psychology. And we literally spent half the semester on learning the biology of um, a fetus in the womb. I was like, yeah, cool. That's the real psychology that I came here for. And we, we literally had to almost force the teacher, like me and my friend, uh, to talk about nature versus nurture because I thought, well, in a class on developmental psychology, that should be a topic of discussion, right? Not saying one is more important or anything, but we should at least talk about it and what the different arguments and sides are. But the teacher would never have done it if we hadn't kept insisting on bringing it up in class discussions. So then fourth semester, I finally realized, well, this is actually not for me. Philosophy is it for me. But anyway, so I got to that class because a random guy from Twitter that I sometimes talk to just recommended to me to look into that style of university. It worked well for him. I met amazing people there. And like I met people that are Twitter caliber of friends, but in real life, which then also makes it, of course, easier to bond and is even better than just being people on the screen. But anyways, what is then there left to tell of this tale? Um, I am now no longer at that university. But anyways, yeah, I have so far, I have met one person from Twitter. And that is the infamous technocrat. Also don't, do it, as... don't do it. Don't, don't mention him. get me in every episode. Well, th this one mention I have to give him. Like, I visited um, Ryan in Scotland um, because... The flight was, flights aren't expensive to going to Scotland compared to, you know, visiting hut in the good old US. Yeah. So I think that was like two years ago. Uh, yeah, two years was, ago, roughly. Was that, was that like one of those, is it like a TV show where you're like, you, like, did you guys like hug when you met? Yeah, of course we hugged. Like, um, I was at the bottom of the staircase, he was at the top, and I ran and screamed his name. And then we um, we turned like four times while we hiked, and there was nice music playing that Ryan had set up. It was very cinematic. It was a cinematic experience. And I have to tell the story of when I met when I met Pat Stedman for the first time. Yeah, that's yeah, that's gonna be good stuff. And also, um, I have like I'm um, I. I'm stumbling. I spent a good week with uh, Ryan, and since then I haven't met anyone else. I meant to meet Ryan, but sadly he has now departed to the U.S., so I made him promise that he will come to Germany first country when he returns from the U.S., so publicly we have to keep him accountable to that. But and other so than what that, you guys I think... Do? You guys were together a whole week. Um, we weren't together the whole week, like the first few days. Um, I still, um, I lived at an Airbnb um, because he um, had mm -hmm. a lot of stuff to deal with from work. But I still then hung out with him and mm -hmm. visited him. And like he had some work stuff to do, which was fine for me because then I also could do some study things on my own and um, spend some time alone. But other than that, we just, we, I mean, we talked a lot. We took walks. We um, went to the cinema. And there's actually a really um, iconic... Um, experience that uh, we had in the cinema so everybody i think most people know that ryan has a pretty decent taste in movies and expressing his taste and his opinions of them he's good at that that's also what i thought mm -hmm. so we just wanted to go to the cinema but there were pretty much not good collection of movies to watch so he decided let's watch um, zombie land 2 because zombie land 1 was decent okay 
And the thing is, there was not enough space left. There was only one space left, I think, and the other one was for um, a disabled person. But there were more than enough spaces left for disabled people that weren't going to be taken up. So I figured we can just book that one. But I had to stay true to the role because I didn't want it to seem like I was an imposter, you know? So then I played the part of a somewhat disabled stumbling person and embarrassed Ryan in public. Um, oh, great. Because I didn't want because I didn't want to, you know, make people think that I just take a seat that isn't my own. And then actually there was no seat taken next to Ryan, I think, in the end, but the movie already started when I realized that. So we watched a movie for which I put on this very intensive performance. And the movie was shit. It was so boring. It was it was not funny. It was not remotely funny at all. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely terrible. And Ryan, Cle- Ryan, Cle- he kept denying that it wasn't. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't that bad. So then that led, I think, to another like multi-hour-long discussion on what makes movies good and bad, and our differing opinions on that. Um, yeah, it was a good time. It was a great time. Um, yeah, and. There has been nothing since then. And I think the next big, outside of meeting him again, I think the next big meetup of meeting people from Twitter, friends in real life is going to be at my uh, wedding next year. That's where I hope to amass all the people in once without having to fly to the US myself. Just create an event that will um, friendly force them to just come to me all. So uh, we're going to see how well that works out next year. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And well, the final part is that I think that my online Twitter life had its biggest distinction when I started reaching out to people for individual calls. Um, Because I just had this desire that speaking to people over text wasn't enough and chatting and I just wanted to talk to people, have an actual relationship and I felt very social at the time. So I was like, yeah, just do a call. Like, why not? Why not? And then I asked a few people and they agreed and talk for hours over Skype was a great time and then I made it a habit to do it more regularly with people and with like some of them I literally for almost six or nine months I spoke every one or two weeks on a Skype call and that just took things to the next level in terms of it not just being a, an acquaintance that you're really close with in the online environment but I actually got a feel for the person on a much more intimate and real level than ever before. So I made it a habit with pretty much all people that I consider friends because I was thinking if they're friends, then we can find a time for that and it will be great. And if you have a call and realize there's actually not much to talk about, then maybe spending all of the time online together is also kind of a waste of time if it doesn't lead to something tangible. And I think that face-to-face voice calls are the most tangible uh, form of bonding that you can experience in the online medium at least. So that's pretty much where I am. That's pretty much where I am at now. So I give it over to you, Hutton. Yeah, I mean that's what you did with me. I think you just messaged me and said, "Hey, do you want to do like a Skype or whatever?" When we hopped on, I get those messages pretty regularly. I've met all sorts of people over the years. Well, interesting. I mean, I guess. <clears throat> How much would you say your social life now is from people that you've met on the internet versus people that you met organically? Um, 
I'd say it's 50-50, but an enormous amount of that is skewered by my university friends. Because if I if I hadn't gone to university, then it would be more like 90 or 95%. But I've met um, made some really great connections with my friends from university who are who I want to then also, that's one of those things I'm going to look forward to on the wedding, if it happens like that, is to merge those camps of people who I think are both great, but don't know each other yet directly. I mean, Flo, uh, you, you know Flo, actually, one of the few who knows Flo better than just me speaking about him. Mm-hmm. So it's 50-50, but it would be much more, much more skewed if it wasn't for those particular set of people, this particular set of people that I met at university. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I, you know, I guess my background is, it goes back a little bit further than you. I'm, I think, 14 years older than you are. So I've been on the internet longer, though maybe not quite, maybe not as much. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know if anybody will find it interesting at all. But I mean, I was in sort of the, the transition generation. You know, when I was in middle school, we had, tel- you know, hard line telephones in every house and I had my own phone line, you know, when I was young, the cool thing was to have your own phone line. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't internet and things like that. So, but if you were, if you were, uh, really fortunate, you could talk your parents into getting a second phone line that was just, you know, right to your room, right. Where your friends or girlfriend or whatever could call you and they didn't have to worry about your parents picking up. And it was just like a, it was like our, it was like our way of having privacy, you know, before we had, people sneaking around on the internet. Um, our first computer I remember was a gateway 2000. And this was back before the big tech companies all consolidated and there was still like a lot of competition in the market. And we got a computer called a gateway 2000. And I remember my mom bringing it home and I'm trying to remember, I think I had already learned to type. Like I think like there was computers like at schools and things like that and libraries, but like there wasn't a lot of in home computers for, you know, middle-class people or lower middle-class. <laughs> but I mean, I learned to type, like I had, I had computer class, like in the sixth grade. So like, you know, my parents were taught on a typewriter, but I mean, I learned on a computer and, you know, I could type really well and my mom could, my dad still can't. Um, but yeah, I remember my mom bringing a computer home and I was just, you know, beyond myself excited and, you know, it could burn CDs and I never, I'd never been able to, you know, make my own CDs and things. And, um, it came with, it came with a game pack that sort of became a little bit of a cult, a cult, uh, favorite following. Like there was this one game that just happened to be, you know, with the gateway 2000 game pack, like my mom paid the extra money or whatever to get the, um, you know, to get the game package. And one of the games that was in there was age of empires. And it was my first video game. You know, I'd played like Sega a little bit here and there. And like, you know, uh, what was it called? You know, Mario and Luigi, you know, whatever, whatever that is. And like Sonic the Hedgehog on some of those things. But like, I never had a gaming console or any, I had friends that did, but I never really was much into it. Um, but this game age of empires came out. And it's been interesting because I've met people subsequent, subsequently through the years that they got really big into Age of Empires. And there was a few years where, I mean, I spent a lot of time in the summer, you know, on the computer playing Age of Empires. Um, it's like a world building game where you, you know, you start out with like one guy and then 
you know, you build a farm and you make resources and then you build a town and you build more people and then you, you know, battle other people. And I think when the game first came out, it was just, it was just on, on like your computer. Like you just played against the computer and you could set like the different levels of like, you know, difficulty. Um, but then after a while, I can't remember if it was just like an upgrade or if there was like another iteration of the game or whatever, but after a while I was playing it online. Um, and yeah, I don't know the year, but I mean, I spent a decent amount of time playing it online one summer and I got pretty good. And I mean, I got to where I was rarely, you know, rarely beaten at this game. Don't remember my username. Don't remember where I played it. Don't remember, don't remember anything, but it was on like a dial up connection. Um, so yeah, I guess I was, you know, that was like my first introduction to, you know, an online forum where there was, you know, people commenting and, and talking and stuff. And I was pretty young. Oh, we had aim. So we had AOL instant messenger on our computers and that was how we would talk, you know, with girls and other, and other thing, you know, girls and our buddies and stuff on the computer. And I guess, again, I'm still trying to, you know, it's, it's all fuzzy. I guess this was before we had cell phones. So, you know, when we first got our first cell phones, texting was like expensive. I mean, texting was like, I mean, 10 cents a text or something to the point where, you know, you weren't allowed to send texts because your parents would get their bill back and there would be just like, I remember a couple of friends getting in trouble because they had text too much and their parents had had like a three or $400 phone bill over and above oh. the normal price just because texting wasn't free. So we had AO once and messenger. And so we would all have to get on there and, you know, we would spend the evenings talking and it's, it's again, this doesn't seem, I think technology was moving so quickly that some of these things quickly got like, um, basically, you know, just beat out of the system quickly. So like, I, it wasn't like I was on AOL Instant Messenger for like years. It was something like, you know, two summers or something or, you know, two school years. And you'd be um, on there with girls chatting, and, you know, there'd be different like acronyms. Like this was, you know, before, you know, internet lingo, but like we would have right. like, I remember the big one was um, POS. Like, oh, hot. Um, you're back now, but you were just offline for the last 20 seconds. Oh, really? Yeah. You, you can hear me now? Yep, yeah, now I can hear you again. Oh, well, I'll just keep going. Um, I guess um, going backtracking, um, this was like when Internet Lingo first came up and we were using the AOL Instant Messenger. And, you know, you'd get like a note from a girl and it'd say like POS, which meant like parent over shoulder. Like there was a parent standing behind them and reading and the parent didn't know <laughs> what it meant. Um, they knew what it meant. And then the parents were trying to catch on. To it. it was just, it was a mess. And then like when I was in high school, like the first social media started hitting and I wasn't on any of them. I had friends that were, I think Zanga, Zanga and MySpace were the first two, um, I didn't get on social media until college and it was Facebook and I never really used it very much or anything like that. And then, um, Oh yeah. Napster. The only other component of my internet life, you know, in high school was like Napster and like LimeWire downloading free music and like, you know, stealing music. And there was like the whole Metallica, you know, lawsuit and all that stuff. Hmm. Um, so we would, you know, we would download or torrent music and, and, and burn it on our own CDs and things like that. But yeah, that was the extent of my internet life. And then in college, like I say, I was on Facebook and that was, that was back when Facebook was like still like a social, like a social network, you know, where it was mm -hmm. just like, when I joined, I was like friends with all my university, you know, everybody in there was in the same network. And like, I couldn't see 
somebody at another university. Like I was just in there with my university and then after a couple of years, like that went away and it just kind of like opened up to everybody. But it was originally just like, you know, my school, like, you know, friends and, and people that I went to school with. So it was pretty cool from that perspective. Um, and then Twitter came along when I was in college and I remember I got on Twitter so early that I think like my first, I mean, my first at was like basically like my name. Like, I mean, I, I no longer have it obviously, mm. but I mean, it was like, it was literally like my first name or just like, you know, hut or something like I had, like, it, 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 I didn't even understand what an at was like Facebook didn't have that. Like Facebook, you just used your name and stuff the whole concept of like hashtags and apps and stuff was introduced, you know, via Twitter and I didn't understand a lot of it. Um, and so I, I sat on that account and I think I lost it. And I think I got back on Twitter somewhere in like the, like 2011, 2012. I remember, I remember, you know, talking about politics and like, you know, Mitt Romney versus Obama and, um, <laughs> you know, pretty, pretty uh, stale um, political commentary back in the day. Pretty embarrassing probably if I saw it now. Um, and then, you know, that, and then I even got off of that account and I was off for a long time. And like you say, I think the 2016 election got me back on Twitter and I met, um, you know, met friends, that, you know, like that, you know, Mark and Pat, you know, probably my two oldest and closest internet friends. Um, and then I guess the rest is history. Like I say, it's kind of a fluctuation of like sort of like a, you know, that's what the, that's what Twitter is to me is it's just like this constant shedding of like, like, like groups. And I don't know, like there'll be like a large group and then there'll be like a, you know, there'll be like a, uh, a topic of topic of the day that there'll be like a disagreement and then there'll be a smaller group. And then it just purges and purges and purges. And then, you know, one day you're just in a group with like 15 people and you guys have known each other for a while and you generally agree on some of the, the you know, the broader or more pertinent internet topics. And that just kind of becomes your in-group, you know, and sometimes people come along and they're like, hey, I like what these people are talking about. And then they're kind of, you know, brought into the fold and that's just sort of the process. And um, it is weird because you talk to your internet friends, you know, pretty much more than a lot of your IRL friends. Like, you know, I have like my high school friend group and then I have like my, you know, college friend group and I've got like my cousins, you know, family group and things like that. But, you know, I might talk to my, you know, my, 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 you know, IRL buddies, you know, every couple of weeks or something like that. And then see them, you know, every other month or something, but your internet friends you're in a chat with and, you know, it's like a daily thing, if not hourly sometimes. And it's, so it's almost like, you're more disconnected from them in a sense, especially because you've not spent very much in, you know, in person time with them, but then you're more connected in a sense as well, because there's like, I don't know, less pressure on the relationship. So you just spend more time in those chat groups or, you know, I don't really have a full understanding of why that is, but that seems to be the case for most people. Yeah. Um, I think one, once people get over it, like a lot of people don't get over it, but there is this lack of consequences of being vulnerable on the internet. If you, unless you have your full name and you do it in a very public forum, but if you don't have your real name and you say some things that you think are embarrassing or intimate to a person who you don't know, who you don't know where they live, they don't know where you live, then there is much more freedom once you get over the social status game of I must appear a certain way. 
there's much more freedom to be vulnerable with less apparent uh, risk to it. So mm. it's easier to be honest about certain things than it is uh, with, on online with online people than it is with people in IRL because those people probably know you're more, at least in the moment, more esteemed IRL network that is more important or so it seems. And you also filter, like on the internet, you filter through association and through ideology and through beliefs. In the, you do that in the physical world as well, but you do it with a much smaller pool of the people that are geographically approximate to you and where you spend your time. But on the internet, the pool is seemingly infinite. And then you, then you can select for certain things that you are then also going to have common ground. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty much the beauty of it. I didn't have people who cared about discussing this video game in depth and my, like my own friends in school, they would uh, almost like, they would shame me and be like, well, do you addicted? Do you not have life? Like who cares? It's just a game, etc." But that wasn't what I was about. So instead of just having to conform or to accept that no one's going to talk to me about this, I could just find groups of people who talked about this on my own. And then I outgrew those people because eventually the game wasn't as important to me. And I, like most of those people, first of all, were not politically aligned at all or spiritually. Like, because what I selected for was caring about that video game. I didn't select much, like um, I didn't select much for in the sense of the community on um, for intelligence, spirituality, reflection, things that are usually are very, very important to me. So once mm -hmm. the gaming aspect took a backseat, that became really apparent, and I got tired of all the drama. So I moved on, and yeah, I think it's just easier. It's it's junk. Like it's also junk volume. Like as you said, you don't have a as quality. You don't have the same quality of a connection just by chatting but because of the sheer amount of intimate information that you're able to transmit via the texting medium every day forever pretty much means that even if you don't have that intimate um, setting or that personal setting that mm -hmm. interpersonal physical setting you're still gonna reach a certain level of familiarity and intimate comfort with those people by the nature of the stuff that is being shared at the time that is being spent with each other I think there's a couple of different types of people on the internet, right? Like you've got your people that are looking for an outlet to talk about things that they can't around maybe their family and friends, or they've got hidden, you know, political affiliations. Like I think Trump, Trump drove a lot of this, right? Like there was a lot of people on the internet that kind of liked Trump and they were kind of a Trump supporter and they maybe lived in areas where that wasn't like a socially acceptable thing. And so they go to the internet and they, they want to talk about these things and, and find their communities. And then there's people that are looking to, you know, learn and connect and they have kind of like almost like a, you know, like a searcher mentality. You know, you talked earlier about um, what was it you were saying? And I was thinking, I was thinking to myself, oh, you were talking about kind of like the discussions that, you know, you found our corner talking about. And like, I mean, look, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, I mean, we're not like in any way like a, you know, special or unique group. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I do talk about things with my internet friends that, I'll, you know, most of my family or most of my friends are not really that interested in, you know, not to say there's not people around me like literally like physically near me that I live by that aren't interested in those things, but you just don't meet them. Right. Like, I mean, mm. none of my, none of my family generally wants to talk about like, you know, human migrations or, you know, human, uh, 
or evolutionary psychology, you know, things like things that, you know, I like to read about, you know, so I do think it's easier to find your niche online because you just don't, you can filter more people. It's like, it's like Tinder. It's like online dating. You're, you know, you're more likely to, to meet a girl maybe that you have um, some similarities to on Tinder because you can swipe 60 times or 70 times in a night where if you go out to a, you know, a restaurant or a bar, you're going to talk to three people. Um, so, and then there's people on the internet and this is a large segment that just want to basically play out like a fantasy, like portray themselves, um, in a way that's totally incongruent from their actual life. I mean, I see this all the time, people talking about stuff and they have zero background in it. They have zero, you know, in real life, um, experience with the subject maybe they're not even super, you know, particularly, you know, happy or successful in real life. And so the anonymity of the internet gives people an opportunity to kind of have that freedom of expression. And there's like a blurring too. It's not like you're just one group or the other, right? Like there's like different shades, like you could have your foot and, you know, three or four different, you know, online personas at the same time. Um, I certainly know I've talked out of my ass, you know, plenty of times on the internet, um, you know, uh, talked up experience or talked up credentials. It's just something um, I think that young men are prone to do. <laughs> mm. uh, I'm becoming less young, but um, I'm still, uh, you know, I, it's not, it's not been that long ago that I was, you know, 26. So, um, but yeah. Um, and I guess the only other one that I was thinking of that is sort of an online experience for me from a, you know, gaming experience, I guess. Since I already gave my background, I'm, the only people that are going to find this interesting is like our, you know, closest friends, and then like my kids in 30 years. Um, but I played Gears of War in, in college, um, like fanatically for a couple of years. I played Gears of War. My roommate, when I was still living in the dormitories, um, he had an Xbox. Again, I've never owned a gaming console. This is this is the kind of people that raised me. One um, one Christmas, my uh, I had a, at that time, a, a richer uncle. He was, you know, kind of in the family. He was kind of the most successful guy. I had more money. And so like, I always got like, you know, your crappy family gifts um, every year. And then like, he would always go out of his way. Cause I only had, it was me and I had two male cousins on this side of the family. So there was just three of us and he would always go out of his way to get us something like, you know, really nice, you know, more expensive than usually like what my parents would spend. And the year the Xbox was coming out, he had called up my mom and said, Hey, I want to get the boys an Xbox. And he only had to buy two, right? Because the other two, the other two males are brothers. So he would buy them one or whatever it was. And then I would get my own. And, uh, my mom told him at the time, you know, don't get hunting the Xbox. I think he would be more interested in the flight simulator. So I got flight simulator, um, and they got the Xbox. And so I was, I was sitting at home trying to figure out how to like, you know, take off an airplane. And it was like very realistic and stuff like that. But, um, uh, my mom was always doing stuff like that, but getting back to gears of war, I would just, I got fanatical about it. I never played halo in high school, which was the big, the big game that people were playing. Um, but I got into gears of war on the ground floor and I got really, really good. Um, to the point where I would just spend hours and hours a day. I wouldn't go to class. I would come home from class and get on the game. And I, I mean, just sick, just sick amounts of time spent on gears of war for a couple of years. Um, and it just kind of fizzled because like the, the, the second and third iterations just weren't as good. And that's just kind of how those games kind of die. But, um, uh, so I guess the other thing you mentioned meeting Ryan, I'll talk about just because I think our, our, uh, our friends would find it interesting. 
Uh, do you want to hear the story of, of the first time I met Pat Stedman? Definitely. So it's really not, I mean, it's pretty anticlimactic, but um, Pat was living in New York at the time. And I had taken a job in um, like Pennsylvania, which was like adjacent to like upstate New York. So I was not, I was not too far away from him. I was just a couple hours away. And um, we had gotten a, we had gotten a house, my wife and I, you know, we had a couple of options cause we knew we weren't going to be there permanently. So like we weren't going to buy a house, but we could either rent an apartment in the city, which I thought was kind of boring. And then, or I was looking around at these little lakes and stuff. And, uh, um, we ended up renting a cabin. It was like a, it was like a seasonal cabin. Like we were there by ourselves basically because, um, they had these cabins on this lake, but everybody else, it was like their summer cabins that they would just come to on the weekends. But we, like we were renting one full, full year round, um, itty bitty lake. Like I can't tell you, like, I mean, it's like the size of a large pond, but anyway, so mm-hmm. me and Pat had been friends for a while and we met, we were introduced by Mark, um, Beauvair, who you mentioned earlier. And, you know, Mark, Mark knew both of us. And like, I really didn't know Pat, you know, Pat's brand was like the dynamic man back then. Um, you know, but we got in a, we got in a group chat and we became friends quickly. You know, a lot of, a lot of overlapping interests. Like I think some of the initial things, like, I mean, you talk about like cognition, you know, we talked about some of those things. I think we had, you know, had some similar experiences. Like we'd read the same fantasy series in, in high school. Um, you know, we may have even played Age of Empires and, and things like that. But so there was like a lot of like we click, you know, quick click pretty quickly. And, and um, but anyway, by the time Pat um, came to visit me, um, we had known each other for years on the Internet. Um, and I, uh, I remember him coming up and like um, he texted me that he was there and I walked up to the road um, and he got out and he <laughs> and I think I think the first thing that struck me was the way he walked. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a video of Pat no. um, walking. He walks like a, uh, he walks like a virtuoso conductor, you know, like when, when the guy's up and they're, they've got their hands flicking and they're, they're conducting, you know, they're directing the orchestra. That's kind of how Pat walks. He's got like one hand kind of in the air and he, it's almost like a, he kind of floats. I remember the first thing. And then and he was also like, had his hands full of shit. Like he was like dropping stuff <laughs> <laughs> and, and like saying hi and, but, uh, no, I mean, yeah, we, we gave each other a big O, you know, internet hug and, um, you know, it, it, it never was really awkward at all. I mean, me and Pat just don't really have those type of, of personalities and we'd known each other for so long. Um, and he stayed a couple of days with me and my wife and we, we, we hung out, he had brought some wine with him that, uh, I, I think had gone bad maybe because I, I remember it kind of made me sick. Um, oh, and he'd brought like some, I think like some Polish spirits of some kind, I think I was hung over for three or four days after Pat left, but, um, we swum in the lake and yeah, we just hung out. We cooked steaks and, you know, talk shit. And, and, uh, that was it. And I lived up there for like, I think 14 months or something like that. And we, we saw each other a handful of times. I went down, um, I met, I went down and saw him in the city. I, I went and met him in Philly one time. Um, we spent some time at his, his, his family's, um, ocean house and, um, stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, that it's somebody I met on the internet and we'll be lifetime friends. So, hmm. well, this helps me to wait a bit more until I can meet the Stepman himself, because 
I think Pat expressed the intention to move to Poland for like two years now, at least. Right. And also, I was like, wow, he's going to be on the same continent as me. Poland and Germany um, are relatively close to each other when it comes to Europe. So that means I'm going to get to see him, right? And it still has happened. And at this point, I think it's better for me to just think it's not going to happen and make peace with that. And if it happens, it's going to be a pleasant surprise. Um, what a statement to come. The the wines that he brought that that's uh, did they at least taste good? Did he um, did he turn you into a proper wine taster of your own now? Or it was probably the, they, they were too good for my blood. I'm like a <laughs> I'm like a moonshine. Uh, rock gut whiskey cheap beer kind of guy there's probably just that it was too uh too high culture for myself to enjoy mm. yeah um, i also like i don't drink because i find the taste just abhorrent and i don't desire the state of drunkenness anymore but i remember like it, this also must be like at least two years ago or something like when i first um when i got to talking to will like um more via calls and more intensely I kind of like told him because at the time I really, I thought I would party at my university, but then I realized that I don't like it unless I have people around me who I like and who like to party. And all of my friends coincidentally also were not into drinking. So I would have if they would, but they also didn't. So I was just like, oh, that's fine. Okay. And, but I told Will that I thought it would be really, really fun to go drink with him. And now I'm at the point where I'm probably not even in the state of mind to go do that at all. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to uh, keep that up when Stepman um, offers his um, deli delicious wines to me, even though I'm not going to be able to taste shit like you either. I'm just going to be like, oh yeah, this tastes slightly less awful to me than the other one. Great. <laughs> but that, that's something we're going to have to find out yet. So when we'll it comes you, to... We'll get you like a nice daiquiri, like a pina colada or something sweet for you. <laughs> yeah. That, that should be... Uh, that should be, like I pretty much I think it's like that um, drinks that are for girls that are supposed to taste like nice without much alcohol. That's that was pretty much the biggest uh, likelihood of me drinking anything. Just out of myself here. Mm. Yeah, the the thing is that with all of those storylines, like you have an advantage in a sense, and I think I think Pat has met the most people from Twitter by far in our friend group. Um, is that you live in the United States, whereas I live uh, lived in Germany slash Netherlands in Europe, which much less people of our corner of Twitter are from Europe. And yeah, most of those are then, like I met Ryan because he was there, but all of the other mutuals, all of the other friends were from uh, America and I was not able to visit over then. But if I would have, then it would have been, it would have to be a big road trip. But like when it comes to the things that we, um, like what you said about the different kinds of people that are online and how they blend into each other. Yeah, I think it speaks to the degree to which we are immersed into the online medium that we don't even mention really just the 90% or more of people on social media who are just there for blind entertainment. Because we, like the fact that we use Twitter, which is already, I think, more of a cerebral medium than Instagram or TikTok would be nowadays. And even still, there's lots of normal people like that are just here for jokes and entertainment and news on Twitter. That's just what most people do on social media. So like I always assume when I speak of how to conduct yourself online, what you do, like most normal people who would hear this would just be like, what the fuck do you mean conduct yourself online? Just 
just look at beams and right. do status posturing so your other RL people will think you're cool. That's pretty much the extent to what most people use social media for. And I mean, obviously, I think that's not that's not a good thing. Like, I think the posturing that happens, um, the status posturing and the status games that people play are bad. And I don't think that everyone needs to form connections online because I think a lot of people, they don't feel the need to if they have connections in real life and they don't have very niche interests that they must satisfy through online contact because they can't find someone IRL. But I think a lot of people um, suffer indirectly from the fact that they don't know what type of online user they are. Because as you said, there's the information angle. So people who aren't online to make friends, but just to get information on something, whether that's sports or how to cook, how to make music or how to make money, how to code, all of these things. There are people who are just out purely for information. But I think the amount of people who are only out there for learning information and have zero interest or use in forging relationships with like-minded people, that that amount of people is much lower than people think it is because as i see for example with most most of these communities who seem to be around expertise or knowledge a lot of them still turn into social organizations like very social organizations where almost the more important thing rather than the knowledge is again the social factor of talking of just talking to people who can get what you're into about it and most people online are they're not aware of this. Like I realized this in my time um, first when I was still into esports and into the whole League of Legends gaming Twitter scene. For a lot of people, they didn't actually care as much as I did about discussing things. They right. just vaguely, like, it's like most people are with soccer or with um, football or with any sport that they watch it, they keep up with it, but they probably don't want to get into very, very intense, in depth discussions about it every day. And the, that was the same case there. But a lot of the, those people, they don't know that. And they don't, um, they don't forge individual connections. And that's, I think, a real mark for someone who uses the online medium to his benefit or to their benefit is that they create individual connections. Because a lot of those times, if you just talk to people in the context of a group setting, whether it's a group chat or public Twitter or something else or group Skype calls even, if your relationship to a person only exists in the context of a group, then that isn't, it's not a real relationship unless it can also exist outside, outside of the medium, whether that be Twitter, Facebook or whatever, and outside of the group, because um, there is a limit to the amount of real bonding you can do while you're in a group, because you behave differently, it's less intimate, like you know, groups can still be intimate, and you can still talk about meaningful things in them, but there's something different to sharing something intimate with a group of friends versus having individual friends that you can share intimate things with who are also a part of the group that you hang out with. Mm -hmm. So I think most people are just, they're too scared. And that's what I mean about those empty status posturing games in the beginning. There is not really any risk of being rejected by people online. But most people feel, so it would never enter their mind to ask other people to have calls with them or to just chat. Because there's always the subtext of, we're just here for this thing. And most of them don't want to admit that they're urging, um, no, they're yearning for connection. They want to seem cool. They don't want to seem like a weirdo or a lonely person. Whereas I am 
like I was I was always relatively transparent with the fact that I did not have until university I did not have people who I could talk with about these things IRL and that was a, a kind of loneliness but most people they don't they don't want to be seen as a loser they don't want to be seen as someone who doesn't have friends quote unquote and I think that's fine like I think that's fine to an extent of course if you have certain huge problems that you could have friends IRL, but you just can't do it, then that's going to carry over to the online medium too. But I think it's fine to say, I just don't have people that I click with IRL and I click with these people, so I want to become friends with them. I think that's a very sensible thing. And as a finishing touch on that thought, um, I really, like, I think I'm going to keep talking about this a lot in the future, but just how important it is to have at least one or two people that you would consider real friends from your time online. I think that is what can make it a proper, like, the time spent proper, that there are zero regrets about, oh, I wasted my time online. And again, yeah, this is a subtext of people speaking about, oh, my God, I wasted my time online. I'm not doing anything. Ha, ha, ha. If you realize that, being on Twitter or talking to people that you know through Twitter is actually keeping up a friendship, real friendship that will endure and that you plan to um, become offline as much as possible. Then it's not wasting time and it's not even a guilty pleasure at that point. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people, I think this should be spoken about more because YouTube, for example, like when you look into YouTube comments, even a lot of people in there are just looking for a connection of some sort people to talk about the same thing they care about and in youtube comments you're much less likely to meet people than on other social media uh contexts so i think a lot of people would be better off if they just made accounts with that intention if they would make that unconscious drive conscious because then they would have a much easier time of actually satisfying that urge and yeah i think it's given me a lot of benefit and i know that most people are not in the kind of situation that i was in in regards to alienation in a certain part of being um, offline versus online, but it's still very valuable because if you spend that much time online, then it better amounts to some sort of real world enrichment of your life. What do you think it'll look like in 10 years? Do you think that the online space is going to change a lot or do you think it's going to stay similar to what it is now? I'm completely clueless about the details of decentralization and Web3 and all of these words that I see being used more and more recently on Twitter. But But isn't that a bit of an online phenomenon in itself? I mean, isn't the Internet always talking about things that's going to happen, you know, right around the corner and then it just sort of kind of fizzles? I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying that any of those things are going to fizzle or that decentralization might not happen, but. Um, isn't that something that, that does happen occasionally on the internet? I mean, we, people like to make predictions about what the future is going to look like. That's half of the online groups out there. They're making predictions about the future in you know, one regard or another, but they don't always, you know, they don't always happen that way. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So um, like, that's why I say I'm, I'm not sure how it's going to happen. But a trend that um, I think is slowly creeping in more is that Twitter is becoming um, a funnel for private groups of sorts that are then not just happening in group chat in group chats, either on Twitter or off Twitter or Discord servers. That's a more popular medium for um, 
forging then these um, non-public, usually non-public groups that because it allows more immediate contact between people. But I think there's a danger that comes with if we move to an age where these private communities become more popular, which is that of stagnation and um, gatekeeping. Because if all if you go if you create a space where you and all your people that you like best hang out and talk, um, and it's not on Twitter anymore, like not and it's not meaningfully on Twitter anymore, like it shouldn't all be on Twitter or it shouldn't all be on a social media platform. But if you and me and all of our friends would all completely stop speaking on Twitter about anything and just move into a private group to talk all about it, that would help us um, bond and create a closer connection. But it would cut off the possibility for any new people to enter our proximity and to enter that space. And that just means if you think that's fine, then your content with those people that you've met and only having them. And I'm not saying that you should look at friends like assets and you must always build more. But my mindset is that I am 21 and I have made amazing connections and friendships through Twitter online. Why would I cut that off now? Like, I'm not saying I'm desperately looking for more, but why would I directly reduce the chance of that happening again for the rest of my life that I spend on the earth? That's something that I'm skeptical of. And these groups then usually, I think, stagnate to an extent because new blood can't come in because it's private and most of the discourse has moved there. So I wonder how new people uh, would find their way through the internet if all of it is or not all of it, but much more of it is centered around private communities, which you need money or trust to enter. And if there's no public discourse where people can get to know people of that group and build trust, then how are they going to get in? So like, I think people will still struggle, of course, with those same themes of connection. And even those are groups. So all of the stuff that I previously said about the limits of knowing people in group, if people don't actually then still create individual relationships with some of the members they like of those groups, then it's not going to be marginally better of an experience from the human perspective, I think, than it is right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm still meeting new people. I mean, I met a guy within the last month, and he reached out to me, sent me a message, asked if I wanted to do a phone call. And I said, sure. And we've talked a couple times and he's from like a few hours away. You know, he's not far, he's not far from where I'm from. We work in a similar, you know, part of the, part of the industries, um, you know, yeah. you know, and we'll be, we, you know, we'll be friends for a while. I've met a lot of people off of the internet now, you know, in the past 18 months, I've met a lot, a lot of people. Um, but yeah, that's. Uh, I, I guess that's the interesting question is like, I've talked to Pat about this a little bit. It's like, how do you, how do you continue to form? How do you continue to form a group, I guess, or, you know, build those connections um, when the larger, the larger the group gets, you know, you're going to have um, differing opinions on what some people hold as very important subjects. You know, that just happens naturally. Um and then how do you, you know, what are you doing? Like, I mean, are you doing anything productive? Is it just like an outlet, a socialization? Um, you know, one one way I've seen people do it is they just kind of produce content and kind of let it happen naturally. 
rather than going out and trying to like, you know, find their, their group kind of doing things like what we are right now, just sort of putting, you know, content out there. Um, it may be very slow. Like we may have 10, we may have 10 listeners for 10 years. You know, I don't know. Um, but it, we may not in five years, we may have, you know, 500 people that, you know, like our podcast and they're interested in similar things. And, and then you've got a little community, you know, in a way. Um, so yeah, I don't like to say, I guess I'm rambling a little bit. I don't know. I don't necessarily know where it's going. Um, I personally, and I may have already mentioned this on the last podcast. I don't think the internet will ever be as anonymous as some of the futurists kind of want it seemingly they want it to be because my experience, no matter where I've seen it and some of them, I've seen it personally. Some of them literally have just read about, you know, you read news stories about some of the stuff, but people, you know, people want to like, they want to, they want to see each other. They want to show themselves, you know, even in fits and bursts, um, no matter what their proclivity is, you know, they want to, they want to at least try to, um, you know, connect out there a little bit. So I'm not sure. But this I think- is, you're touching upon the point that I want to express, but I didn't know I wanted to, which is the anonymity thing of, it doesn't matter how close communities get with these anonymous people, but there's always going to be a very concrete ceiling on how much satisfaction from an interpersonal level you can get when anonymity is the highest held value in how you interact with people on the internet. And if you're, if you're that concerned with, with it past the point, then it's very unlikely that you're going to show your real face and eventually also name to closer friends. So if you're never going to do that, then that's always going to put a very um, immediate ceiling on how much you can really personally inter- or interpersonally uh, benefit from the medium. Mm-hmm. What you said about um, the groups, that's, um, that's again, it's good that you mentioned that because uh, the echo chamber mentality is also something which, in my opinion, speaks to putting all of the eggs into the basket of private groups or whatever, because they are echo chambers. And especially for people who like to develop themselves and their ideas. They like to have exposure to people with different beliefs, different ideas and different um, attitudes to life. Like not necessarily be that close, but at least be exposed to. It's already known that social media causes us to build extreme echo chambers, like just passively, because as you said, if you form a group and you agree with about most of the major stuff that you're talking about in that medium with all of the other people in that group, then it's going to lead to groupthink. And to get rid of that, you actively need to go out of your way to seek exposure to people and things outside of that group. And that is, a, that again, that requires a conscious level of internet usage of its downfalls and of its advantages that most people, I think, they don't have that yet. And if it's not, if it's not becoming more common, then most of those changes are not going to be that good because people don't... People don't notice, like, we never notice. Like, I also, um, it always takes me time to notice just how biased whatever in-group I'm currently in is towards a certain thing. And I think there's an unhealthy sense of um, pressure if those are the only people that you can hang out. Because imagine if you stop tweeting, you stop interacting with broader social media, and you just fully, completely interact with your in-group in a group chat, a Discord chat, um, server or even a Skype group, whatever, you know, 
What mm-hmm. happens if you start growing in a way that means you majorly now disagree with those people on a topic or just emotionally you're, you don't feel close to them anymore? You are not incentivized to actually realize that change because those people are now your default social exp- um, interaction and exposure because you have forgotten the old way of being able to always meet people who align with you even if you change. Like most people are slaves to their Twitter audience still, but if you only move in private groups, then you are really, really, um, you really have an incentive to uh, ignore the cognitive dissonance that comes with, I don't actually align with most of those people anymore, but they're, they're my group, they're my online friends. I must always stay aligned with them majorly in that way. And that's, yeah, it's a, that's a general intellectual thing that annoys me is that so many people are very, very sure of their own stance on a thing because I'm pretty sure that they've never actually spoken to a person who doesn't hold that same belief, who wasn't a straw man example of it. Because that's also what Twitter does all the time. And that's what really dis- disillusioned me with what we would call the right you know, on Twitter or in America at least is that I thought those people, because I thought that Trump was more valid than Hillary and had some good things, and I thought, naively, it, it, there was this idea of, though we are, they, these people are so much more conscious of how things are going, spiritual, blah, 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 but I, I realized, like, I feared this, but I didn't want to admit it for years. Most of those people who are pro-Trump, even, like, assuming he's right, and I'm right in my belief that Trump was the better choice and he was a good person to root for there, most people are not pro-Trump because they have seen the truth as it is. It is because there are two major sides. There's a 50-50 chance of them being on that side. And they can be on the right side, even if they're on it for completely dumb, stupid reasons. Mm-hmm. That's also why there can be smart people in the quote-unquote wrong camp. And all of those complaints and all of those talking points I see from those people that are supposedly roughly in my political camp, that's why I no longer call myself that I'm right-leaning or so at all because I don't want to put a label on it because I agree or I disagree so much with so many major talking points and the way they are conducted with people from all political spectrums. Like, I don't want to call myself a centrist because that's equally as cringe-inducing, but that's why I can't call any movement my home, and that's because of that tendency of echo-chambering, only um, addressing strawmen, not talking to real people who are also smart, who you also respect, who have completely different beliefs than you. And I think that's something that's also going to happen more and more on social media. So again, as always with the internet, the more conscious you are of its nature, the more advantage you can yield of it without experiencing most of the disadvantages. But the less conscious you are of this, then the, well, then your your gains, your benefits from using it are always going to be inherently very, very limited. I agree, man. I think this is a good stopping place. Yep. This was, this was the fourth episode of the Constellium podcast. We've actually successfully made it through with only one small connection issue. So let's hope that... That streak keeps going for many weeks more. But if not, then I have my phone ready for the future. Uh, it was nice chatting with you, Hart. And I'm looking very forward to the next one in two weeks. Likewise, this was fun. Talk to you soon. See you.